Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hello listeners. Oh my gosh, we have such a good show for you today. We have Dr. Christina Hallett. She is a clinical psychologist and she has a show on the network, the Be Awesome podcast. Christina, thanks for doing the show with us. I'm delighted to be joining you. (laughs) And we have Dr. Lisa Day, who is an RN and also a clinical psychologist. Hi, Lisa. Oh, hello. And she does the Meyer Clinics podcast on the network. So we're all a bunch of network people here and, exactly. <laughs> and passionate middle-aged women. Passionate middle-aged women. So we're doing a, I want to turn this into a series because I'm a passionate middle-aged woman. So you know how listeners, you know how I love to do my little series. So we're going to do this for a while. We'll have different people come on. It's going to be really exciting. And we're just going to talk about what does it mean? What is feminine? What is being um, feminine mean? And give some examples of people that have tried to tell us what it means where we've been like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And you need to be quiet. Um, And we'll also talk about, um, you know, just what, what does that mean? What does it mean in terms of sex? What does it mean in terms of how you take care of yourself? All of those things. And we're, we can't get it all in one conversation, although dang, we'll try. Uh, We'll just, we'll just keep on going with this and and keep it an open conversation because we're all middle-aged, passionate women and we're in the middle of it. So we're just figuring it out as we go along. Absolutely. (laughs) So when I, let's start with this, Christina, when I emailed and said, Hey, who wants to do this? What was your first thought other than I'm in? (laughs) (laughs) It was, I'm in. I'm like, yes, I am a passionate middle-aged woman. Good God. And I'm claiming it. That's all there is to it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know like what you wanted to immediately talk about? You know, it's such an interesting question because, uh, and I know from talking to you guys that there's some similar thoughts, but when I read Passion, I immediately thought sex, but (laughs) my emotional thing was being passionate about the message that I share and the work that I'm doing. Mm. And I really feel like I bring passion to every conversation that I'm having, or maybe not every conversation, but to many of my conversations. And so so in my mind, I was going to talk about what it's like to 
be passionately engaged in mm. our lives. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I'm, and I just have to say this, um, Christina, you could make um, talking about a potato passionate. Because so. <laughs> I care so deeply. <laughs> like my friend, Evelyn Ryan, she's on the network too. Uh, she says, Kristen, we love to death. Exactly. <laughs> totally got what she meant by that. <laughs> oh, so what about you, Lisa? What did you think when you first, you know, got wind of doing this? What was the first, what were the first thoughts that came to your mind? Oh, well, absolutely jump on it full bore. Um, but when I, when I give, when I give thought to it, you know, I, I kind of reflect back to that Freudian slip that I had a couple of weeks ago, Kristen, of mental hellness. And, and being a mother of a senior and about to be an empty nester and being absolutely psyched about the next chapter and volume, but also being cognizant of the fact that that's not typical is what came to mind for me was wanting to, you know, address some of the myths that occur, you know, of middle-aged women mm, that yes. just after 50, you know, you have no chance of getting married or there was, you know, some data that came out with erroneous studies that said you had a better chance of being killed by a terrorist than getting married if you haven't been married by your 50, you know, and looking, you know, women up over 50 no longer have a sex drive or you can't start a family over 40 or you're too old to go back to school. And so what came to mind for me is that for so many women, when you um, approach mental life, it's an ending. And yes. I, like the two of you, just launch into, oh no, it's, it's the beginning of the next volume. It's a time where I can take the focus off all the have-tos and I can shift to all the want-tos. Yes. And really, you know, what, what it lit up inside of me was, you know, like you, Christina, wanting to, to plug that passion of, it's a time where now we can make choices about what we want to do, where we want to invest our time, where we want to travel, who we want to be in relationship with, a time to refocus, regroup, and just pour that passion in the direction of really the truth of who we are. So super psyched, you know, to talk about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start this off with, I mean, we've already started off, but let's get into, you know, the first one that people think when they hear about this, the sex piece. And I'm just going to say where I, I mean, I'm like, let's just get right down to it because, you know, we'll, we'll devote a whole other show to just that topic because mm -hmm. it deserves a whole show, probably 12. But for me, um, passion, the last thing I thought I think of when I think of that is sex, but that's because I'm not having sex right now. <laughs> for a while and I, and I don't want to um, for multiple reasons that we can talk about, but I, that still doesn't mean that those feelings aren't there and that I don't, you know, take care of myself and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I channel that energy or that would go towards something sexual and I put it into my work and I love that. It doesn't mean that I'm some barren woman that, uh, no, it's, I, I have a lot of sexual energy. I just repurpose it to something really productive. And I'm very careful about where, cause I've been around plenty of women who use their sexuality, middle-aged women even, use their sexuality still to land a man. They're on mm. match and they're on Bumble and it's all about getting the man. And, uh, 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 and I'm like, oh my gosh, you, what a waste. Like, why Go, put that into something creative for yourself? But that's me. So Christina, what do you think about all that? Well, uh, so I'm married and right, middle-aged. Exactly. 
you're our married one on the show. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, but I think that your point about how do we use our sexual energy is really important. And for me, the most important piece about that is taking care of ourselves, whether that's taking care of ourselves sexually or in some other fashion. And if I were single and out looking all the time for someone, as opposed to living my life in a way that makes me happy, then I would not end up feeling as passionate, as involved, and as vibrant as I would otherwise. I mean, and that's part of it. I think that the search and the sense of looking externally is really different than being comfortable with yourself internally. Oh, God, this was so well put. Why do I get beat up by these women that come to me? You're just a frozen ninny and you're just negative and i'm like no if the if they heard you say it so eloquently they would just shut up in their tracks <laughs> well, but I, I believe there's also another angle to it you know we all hear about i like to talk about the passion in the middle age versus what we see all over media um as the cougar right, right. which i think oh. is what you're talking about with the online and i think what we see is that oftentimes by middle-aged um people are ending their marriages mm -hmm. and they're back out in the dating world. And unfortunately, if their marriage life or their previous 50 years, I guess it's probably 20, 25 years, was defined by caring and caregiving and taking to soccer games. In other words, you know, being a homemaker, when they you know, rebuild themselves or recreate themselves in their midlife, they go out, what do they have, right? They have that sensuality and that sexuality because they haven't had a lifetime of identifying their passions and mobilizing their passions. And so I think that it's very, you know, it's often that they are at risk really of going, what do I have to bring into this second half of my life? Well, I've got my voluptuousness, but you've got that paired with Facebook and what are those apps? You know, they can take 20 years off. You know, everybody looks fantastic on Facebook. And then you go and you look in the mirror and you've got sagging skin, sagging body right. parts. You know, once we used to take a, a picture and smile, now we have to worry about the chin because there's a couple down there, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. I, looking at the yeah. film that we just did for the mental health roundtable, I was like, oh yeah, that's my grandma's neck. Yeah, it's like I always say shoulders back, chin out, and everybody looks like a, a, a turtle in the picture, right? We're like, screw that, go back to your smiles, right? But I, so, I, so I think that this series and your podcast series of, you know, how can we take that passion in the second half and look at, you know, what is, what is it beyond um, what I do? And let's look right. at, about who I am and mm. how I can mobilize and fuel that or what we call, you know, in coaching, the B of who I am. How can I mobilize my B of areas of interest? Yeah. areas of desire, areas that give me a sense of value um, so that there's more in addition to the things that we've done the previous first half of our life. That's so true. I was, yeah, go ahead, Christina. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, one of the other things that comes up for me is that how I see myself and how I feel about myself really shifted in middle age from yeah. being so worried about what other people thought and doubting myself to really feeling really good about how I see the world and who I am and how I am in the world. And one of the greatest gifts that I've developed over the last decade uh, has been this idea of my opinion matters and my opinion matters to me. And so if I am doing something, whatever it is that I'm doing, my favorite is sort of like trying on goofy hats or just being silly. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I'm not worried what someone else is thinking about. 
And you just said this, Lisa, you made me think about it because I was looking at a picture that someone had taken of me and I was laughing hysterically in the picture. (laughs) And the person said, oh, this is a great picture. My first thought, harking back to my pre-middle age days was, oh, I don't know, look at my chin, can you edit that? And the (laughs) photographer looked at me and he said, all anyone will see in this picture is joy, the joy mm-hmm. of you laughing. And I thought, oh, that's right. Come back to who I am now. Yes, I love that about that, that those are laugh wrinkles, laugh yes. lines. Yes. And so for me, I just see things very differently. I'm not so worried about other people's impressions. I'm not so concerned about does this look exactly right or not. not it's not that I've given it up altogether, but it it's taking a far further seat back in the bus. Mm-hmm. I, I call it the Kathy Bates effect. And I don't know <laughs> if you guys remember the um, fried green tomatoes. Yeah. Where Kathy I'm Bates older and I have more parking spot. Yes. <laughs> for a parking spot and someone takes her spot and she puts that old station wagon in reverse and then she puts it in drive and she reams into them. <laughs> not that yeah. not that we want everybody reaming into other people. Right. Yes. And no one was there's the a yeah. yeah, it's a it's a lack of concern with, you know what, I am gonna have a statement and I am gonna live consistent with that. I'm not gonna go, Oh, that's okay. I don't mind if you step all over me or take mm-hmm. advantage of me. Yeah. I have a voice. And and you know, putting that with the feminine approach that we don't have to demand it. We can elude it, you know, we can embrace it and gracefully bring it into relationships. But first we have to honor it, you know, to know that it's right. there. Right. Oh, that's so true. And I think about like, what do I do to honor myself? Well, let's see. I have a horse. Mm. Um, I go running and hiking with her. Um, I play guitar, which I have no idea what I'm doing, but I do it. I'm taking a couple of vacations with my girlfriends. Um, I get plenty of sleep. I eat well. I, you know, I do all of these things, go to a lot of therapy. So I do a lot of self-nurturing things and that comes out of my passion also. Well, I think it's important though, Kristen, to look at oftentimes what I get from folks is not, I mean, you and I, and and Christina, we know what fuels ourselves and we take it for granted. It's kind of like I wake up coffee first and I'm not saying that that fuels ourselves. But what I, what I see, what I observe clinically is that in the middle age is a time where people, you know, they stop and they look at, you know, I'm, I'm over halfway there probably, you know, unless, you know, you've got, you know, great genes. And so they, they look at, you know, okay, what is the meaning of life? What have I achieved or what do I want to be? What defines me? And I know that I'll ask women what fuels you, that exact thing of going and seeing your horse and, and picking up guitar. What fuels you? And it really is another one of those deer in the headlight moments. And they're oh, like, I, I had my that kids moment. Me. Yeah. I, I had that moment. I was asked this by my therapist. She, she's been saying to me for a year, Kristen, do you believe you have the right to practice self-care? I think I talked to Christina about mm-hmm. this. And yeah. And she's like, what does self-care look like to you? And I'm like, a deer in headlights. I have, this was a year ago. I don't know. I've had to build this stuff in and figure out what it looks like. And it's been trial and error. So yeah, I get that, Lisa, totally. Like if you had asked me that a year ago, I'd be like, well, well, oh, I'm sorry, Christina. No, go ahead, Lisa. Well, and I often ask a middle-aged women, you know, if they feel like they are powerful or if they have power over their life, because there have been previously so many demands, so many roles to fill, mother, lover, spouse, soccer mom, you know, brownie mom, or what, you know, getting your kids into college mom or 
dealing with all the challenge challenges that come with being a homemaker um, or even just you know getting uh, food on the table if you will you know until that part of your life is over and when i ask women do you feel like you have power in your life you know what is it that you desire you know oftentimes again i i just do what i'm supposed to do and i'm not really in touch with what i want to do right. and so it's a fun time of exploring you know what is it that i desire what is it that fuels me what is it that interests me and that it's okay because for so many women, they feel selfish to think, what do I want to do tonight? Or what do I want to do with this summer? It's always right. been the kids, the family, the obligations, the job, the have tos. So that's exactly what I was going to say, is that I think one of those important questions is, what do you want to do? Or conversely, what is it that you've been afraid to do? or you thought wasn't possible. And that's where I see so many women getting that look of, I don't even know, right? So beginning that process of figuring out what do I want and how do I figure out what I want? And I think that that's such a powerful process to go into, to begin deciding, yeah, this is something I want to do. And I'll give you guys a recent example. I am in Connecticut and I drove myself to Long Island, gave a talk, and then drove back. And I not only did that drive through all sorts of crazy traffic, but I did it without white knuckling, without getting frustrated, and without cursing out everybody else. But I literally just enjoyed the drive. And on the way home, I got so excited. I'm like, wow, look what I did. I am such a rock star. I drove myself to and from Long Island and stayed calm and happy. <laughs> and for me, that was a thing that I was afraid of that turned into, if I'm this empowered woman that I want to be, then that's a thing that I didn't even know I wanted to do that I ended up finding really important and impactful. Or, or I think that other things, other times people think that it's too late. And like you, Christine, I had an experience, and this occurred six years ago, and I was, I was 48 years old and have a full practice, a strong practice, 20 years long, in fact, living in Seattle, um, working my tail off, had a home, a cabin, have my two kids. I should have everything that you know, would make me happy, but I was burnt out. And you know, one, of my, one day I was um, sitting in my room, and my daughter came to me, and she said, you know, Mom? One of the things that you've always taught me is to be careful what you say to yourself, that what you think you become. Mm. She goes, and I just want to let you know that what you've been telling me for months, if not years now, is that this is killing me. Okay. Mm. And so in that, I'm thinking as a, as a single mom with two kids that I can't make any changes. I have to do this because I have to put food on the table. I have to provide for my kids. And I remember at 48 thinking, you are absolutely right. And I made a trip to Sun Valley, which is where I live today. <clears throat> and I got off the plane and I realized that this was it. And at that point in time, I was ready to leave my practice because my practice was quote unquote killing me. I was working hard, just working and working and working and working and working, completely detached from the truth of who I was mm -hmm. and my passion in that. And the ironic thing was, you know, I did the whole, should I change careers? Should I go back to school? And I love medicine. Should I become an MD? And I didn't, I thought, what fuels me? And what fuels me are the mountains, the snow, the mountains, the rivers, the wildlife. And at that point in time, I left my practice. I, I moved my, I got up, I got a U-Haul, put it on the back of my car, put skis, computers, bikes, kids, dogs, cats, and, and I left. And truly my family, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would all be in agreement that thought, they thought I was having a bipolar breakdown or a midlife crisis, right. which it probably was a midlife crisis. But the beautiful thing in that, and I can't give this away, is that I came to the mountains. And once I got to the mountains, 
I was fueled from the inside out, yes. like a pulse mm. going through my entire body. Within three months, not only had I opened a satellite clinic, but it was full again. And I opened up a whole new chapter of my life, which yes. is engaging with you guys here right now. And the point of that story isn't to lift me up and go, wow, aren't I so strong? It's that I had gotten to a place that I had was so beaten up by the schemas that I had developed as a middle-aged woman that I have to do A in order to do B, that mm -hmm. I'd gotten lost from what the pulse inside of me is. And so if one way we can help women and, and, and share how we get back to that pulse to follow the passion, then you can find that you're fueled with all of your gifts. And it's just, it's, a, it's an amazing process. It's so true. I, I, I think about this when, and this is why I will never be a therapist because I don't have any patients, but um, <laughs> people will tell me, I, but I can't, I can't do that because of this. And I can't do that because of this. And I can't do that. And I'm like, listen, what, you're ready when the need to change is bigger than your I can'ts because mm -hmm. I literally have stopped my entire life in its tracks, moved, started over, did it, you know, I've done all those I can'ts, busted all through them. So I know it can be done. And I don't want to hear anymore about how I can't like, don't complain. I get like this. Don't whine and complain to me about the same thing <laughs> over and over and over again. You know, just, I can't take it. You know what the answer is. Go do it. <laughs> That's well, why I'll be a good therapist. <laughs> well, but I, and I think what, what helps fuel that Kristen is that, you know, the, the cancer, absolutely the number one thing that stops us fear, yeah. right? I'm afraid that if I leave my practice, I'll fail and we'll be, you know, getting food stamps or something. But I think that, you know, the focus, and I love the name of, of this podcast, of that being passion, you know, and what, yeah. what exactly is passion? It's, it's really allowing yourself to get lost in something, something that gives you so much pleasure that you're oblivious to anything else. And I think that in middle life, we think, okay, I'm going to go to a career coach. I'm going to take some psychological testing to see where my gifts are. And it's outside of that. I mean, we are the creator of our life That's and right. looking in of, you know, in that example that got me to move was my passion for the mountains. That's where God speaks to me. That's where I feel alive is and fueled. And then through connecting with that passion, oh my Lordy, everything else has fallen into place. But I think that, you know, in navigating the can't, it's looking at what what is passion? What does that mean? And and that's a hard question for a lot of people. I mean, I know the three of us, we, we can't narrow down what we're passionate about. Like we're up at you know, midnight. Yeah. Oh, what about this? What about that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, how do we define? I mean, I think that would be worth looking at too, is what is passion? How do we define what is passion, you know, or yes. what we're passionate about? Your thoughts, Christina? <laughs> well, it, so I think about this kind of thing all the time because I'll be traveling to a speaking engagement or going between sites and I have lots of time to listen to audiobooks and to think. And so literally, I feel that for me, anyway, my definition is passion is what absolutely energizes me, which uh, just like Lisa was just saying, gets me caught up in flow or something where I am not noticing the uh, passage of time and that I'm not self-conscious. It's something that I look forward to doing, whatever it is. And so it, passion for me then encompasses a whole variety of different things. There's activities that I'm passionate about, but I'm also just as passionate about having some reading time to myself at the end of the day. Like that's a that's a non-negotiable for me. No matter how late I get home, I always take a little bit of time for reading for myself because I know that helps me 
to slow down, to wind down, and prepares me to go and have restful sleep, just as a minor example. So that's something that I can talk about ad nauseum because there's so many different things I love to read. And so when I think first and foremost about passion, to me, it's what's lighting me up. I could be passionate about a type of food or mm-hmm. an activity or an interaction, but it's something that has that spark in me, not just glowing, but it's just zooming out of everything. You know, sort of, I, it's almost for me as if my eyes start shooting sparks out, like, and I want to <laughs> say, yes, yes, yes. That's how I think of passion. Right. I call it living orgasmically, but anyway, that's a whole Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I I think about, like, I'll give you an example. I had someone that I was speaking with who's a therapist and, um, but it wasn't a therapy type situation and it was a male. And he was like, well, you know, uh, you need to get, you know, find out what what being feminine means for you. (laughs) And I'm like, you're like crossing, you're about ready to go over a cliff here. So I think you should stop talking, but he's, oh, no, no, no. Just hear what I say. Like, do you ever think about wearing makeup or wearing a dress? <laughs> do you think that because you've, you've uh, historically had princess entitled women in your life that love you to work and, and them to get, you know, whatever, you get money for nothing or whatever, that, that do you think that maybe you've, you've handed your femininity over to them? I okay, wait a minute. Yeah. He lost yeah. me at you need to. Yeah, okay? exactly. Right. exactly. Right there. <laughs> so I was sitting there and I'm listening. And because I'll listen, I'm like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I listened to it objectively for a bit. And then I spoke to a few female friends and they, were, and they all went, what? <laughs> and then I went back and I said, okay, I heard what you said. A, you need to stop talking about what Fem, what being feminine is like just stop like just don't even know it has nothing to do with wearing a dress it has nothing to do with makeup or no makeup it has nothing to do with men and he was like oh my gosh i've made you angry but i said no i'm thankful for the conversation because what it did do for me like looking for the nugget of wisdom here is it did make me go oh okay you just showed up and represented to me a part of my where I put my feminine, the feminine in me, that's been unhealthy. I tied it to men. I Mm. still had it tied to men, which in my experience, having been molested, you know, and all that, I tied it to men in a very negative way. It shouldn't be tied to men at all, but it was also tied to something very negative and painful. So you just ticked me off enough, my dear male friend, with what you said, that I just went, you know what? I'm not tying it to men anymore. Poof, done with that noise. So I learned something great and now, you know, I'm really enjoying, well, what is being feminine to me? And I can tell you right now, it got nothing to do with the dress and makeup, but anyway, that's a whole other. <laughs> well, I think what's, I think what's poignant there as well though, um, Kristen, is that it's tied to a man or it's tied to something outside of self. Yes. Mm. And, yes. and when I think about passion and I think about the successful, the passionately successful women, I'm not talking about monetary, I'm talking about who are passionately living their lives. It really, we're emphasizing the I, it's that I know who I am. Mm -hmm. I I know my life or I know my purpose. Um, I'm true to myself. And like, as Christina said, I take time for me and I treasure that. I create what I want. I'm good enough. I like myself. You know, I'm certain of my success as defined by me. And so I think that, you know, the point of 
being defined by a man or something outside of ourselves is one of the things that has been um, is one of the prohibitive factors as we cross over into this, you know, middle life and the, the second right. half, if you will, is that it really is a wonderful opportunity to check in with who am I? Where am I? What do I love? The I, 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 but being able to, you've heard me say this a number of times, um, Kristen, of being aware of the book of shoulds written by they. Yes. I say, who the hell are they, right? There are (laughs) the father who molested us or the job that, you know, nixed us or the society or the soccer moms or the the PTA or I I never did sell Girl Scout cookies, by the way, we were asked to leave the Girl Scouts. Or really, really, (laughs) yeah, or really shallow, unempowered women who, who fell, who are in the matrix of what society says is powerful, telling you how messed up you are because you don't care about being perfectly quaffed every minute and you don't care about like, landing any guy that will do whatever. I mean, there's all those factors that come into play too. What society tells you, what other women believe is a, is power. And they're completely, that is not power at all. And they're trying to tell you because your power, which is really from something within, or, or that's what you're trying to develop is scary to women like that. And it's also scary sometimes for, well, a lot of times for men. So sometimes it's like the reaction to, like they want to immediately clamp down what you're trying to do because the reflection of what that is, is something they don't want to look at within themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because people judge that which they fear. So if we in our middle life are going on and and continuing to create, I mean, I have to chuckle because everybody, lots of people have said to me, oh goodness, you know, uh, empty nest, empty nest, June's going to be empty nest. And I feel bad because inside I'm rubbing my hands together going, oh, oh I'm so excited you're empty nesting. I'm like, all oh, this stuff Lisa's going to do with us now. I love it. I can eat cottage cheese for dinner. I don't need to make dinners. I can read, 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 write, write, write. And I keep thinking I'm supposed to be afraid of this time. And yet I, I'm like on the edge of my seat, ready to jump. And not that I want to and not that I want to leave that. I mean, I treasure being a mother more than anything, but I don't see that as ending or changing. Right. I just see freeing up time to do what I want to do. And it's so exciting. It's so, so exciting. Lisa, as you're talking, I'm laughing because the words that I had jotted down that I was going to share were, for me, it's freedom and choice. And so <laughs> we are, it's just my husband and I, well, and and the three dogs, three cats, and two birds. Uh, so we've been an empty nest. Uh, youngest left for college hmm, it's almost six years ago now, and definitely has been living f- completely on her own for these last two years. And so absolutely, sort of as much as I have wanted her to come back, I'm like, come visit or come do this, then she'll come and I love seeing her. And then there's that time where I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm ready for you to go. Like, I'm, I'm just ready to go back to my space and my thing, whatever it is. So that for me, freedom, absolutely, and choice. And the other thing that's come up for me as I think about passion and middle age is absolutely a deeper sense of connection and appreciation of the differences between and among us as well as the similarities. And so I feel way more connected to the aspects of our common humanity and much more appreciative of our differences, including, although this is still hard, the differences that I personally am not so much on board with. Hmm. Right. 
And don't you think that some of that, um, Christina, is related to the fact that in our first 30, 40 years, there are so many um, expectations that are placed upon us and that are not necessarily our truth. I'm a big advocate of cook once, eat twice. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always measured that up to my, you know, my friends who you know, make home-cooked meals every single night. It leaves, you, it leaves you to feel that you're less than or doing something wrong. Yeah. Whereas when those expectations are released, you know, rather than finding yourself in a smorgasbord of emotions of um, no purpose, no value, um, those fears, yeah, yeah, guilt, those insecurities, you know, if we can really plant that seed of opportunity to grow, opportunity to grow, opportunity to grow. Yeah. Yeah, it opens well, us up to that. And I think about all of the different roles that we've played up until even this moment. And what I think is so amazing about middle age is that there is greater opportunity to choose what roles we would like to continue with and what roles we're ready to gracefully back out of. Oh my Lord. Yes. (laughs) I just talked about that today with my therapist. I'm like, I am really having a great time saying no. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, like, and, and I'm even having a great time saying no when I've said yes. (laughs) Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. I take that. I've rethought that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and I, I think that historically, you know, over a century ago, I think that what the average lifespan was at, you know, 48 when, when I moved to Sun Valley. Oh my and God, I, I'd be in you know, the, the grave op- right now. Yeah. And the opportunity, because we live so much longer and because, you know, women are so very empowered now, we, we can make those decisions of, you know, where we want to live, where we want a vacation, right. who we want to spend time with, what facades we no longer want to carry. And it's welcomed and it's supported. And by the podcasts that are going on, the women's retreats, you know, your movements, Christina, um, it's just such a, a, a field, if you will, of opportunity. It's, it's, it's exciting, exciting. Very exciting. Things are truly opening up. And that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't so many different areas where we're still waiting and trying to have movement and change. I'm just trying to have a bowel movement, but that's a whole other. (laughs) You know, there's help for that. That's another middle-aged thing. (laughs) Exactly. No, not music. Fiber. What am I talking about? Music is for phlegm. Anyway, sorry, listeners. Segway. What is it? I saw my sister send something the other day that we used to stay up till four, you know, jump up and, and dance and then, you know, um, create pages, you know, of, of wonderful things to write. Now we're in bed at nine. And if we jump up, we pull our hamstring, but we're more <laughs> oh, creative yeah. than any other time in our life. Yeah. And I'm in a loft. So I, there's no like sleeping in. I like have to get up and somehow wake up enough to climb down that ladder to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> So. Oh, it's Metamucil. It just came Metamucil. To me. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> like Mucinex. No. No, it's the fiber. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so it, when we, what made me think of this is, is um, there were all these, we had this mental health roundtable that we did where we had all these, and I, yes, I am plugging that, but it was so awesome. I can't help it. Um, we had all these people of different ages there, right? Really young men, young women, you know, we had ages uh, like 20 to 76, I think represented men and women. And, you know, it was fantastic, all this energy and everything. And there wasn't any, um, it wasn't the appropriate place for flirting. It wasn't, you know, that we were there on a mission. And I thought about people who can't 
it's very teenager energy or maybe younger than that where you can't you you don't try to control yourself if someone is attractive to you and so you inappropriately make suggestive remarks which is what the whole me too movement has been mm. saying that this mm -hmm. has been going on forever with women we've had to smile our way through it but you know women do that too and and what is that energy what i'm not you know blaming anybody i'm just saying what is that energy that makes it to where you you dip into that kind of behavior that makes people uncomfortable and yet you don't own it you don't it's like why are you doing that that is not what being feminine is that you're you're mistaking something for passion and that's not passion is that am i making any sense well it makes a lot of sense to me Kristen. and what it comes to mind for me is that you know and i speak so much of knowing the truth of who we are and living in a manner consistent with that and i think that in middle age if we don't have that understanding or if we've not defined it we definitely are at risk of you know what we all would call sexualizing relationships there so you we go. go yeah, yeah. Yeah, being able to connect in a my passion meets your passion. I mean, I, I think of the conversations either, you know, text, email or, or in person with Jonathan, you and I. I mean, we come from all different walks and all different places yeah. and we all talk at the same time and we understand thoroughly what we're all talking about <laughs> and and we get it. And there's none of it is the, oh, you're a hottie or, you know no. what I mean? It's, God, and, I, and, I, and I think because we're so driven, you know, by that passion that there's not the fallback of, sexualizing in order to find that connection. It's just a true Ooh. passionate connection. Because I get it. I get the sexualizing. I was sexualized from the time I was a little, little kid. So I know what it's like and I have sexualized. I just work very hard not to do that. I catch myself. And even with the Me Too movement, I, re, I did another several passes on my own thoughts and my own you know, whatever was going to come out of my mouth. Okay. That's not appropriate. I wouldn't like it if a man said that. So you're not going to say that either either and catch it in the thinking stage. So it doesn't even come out your mouth. So I understand where it comes from, but I hadn't thought of it that way that it's a suppression. Well, well, and I think that, I think that um, this comes from the coaching world and it's called the B dash do dash have the be do have. And I think that for many folks, particularly when we're younger, we look at what we want to have, you know, a car, a house, a camper, a cabin, a spouse, two kids, or, or what have you, college funds and all that good stuff. We look at what we want to have, and then we go backwards and we look at what do I need to do to get that. And so right. I do and I do and I do and I do. And then I oftentimes never reflect back on who I be, who I am. Mm. And so we can get caught in that cycle, which if you look at it closely, really is a cycle of addiction. You know, I have A, then I want more and more and more. And so, you know, we don't want to save this obviously for middle life, but it's a time where we're really left to re-explore it is who is the B of who I am? Who am I? And how can I dictate what I do? Because I don't know about the two of you, but it, I don't give a hoot what I have because if I'm doing what is consistent with who I am, oh my golly, what I have is priceless. I have exactly. goosebumps as I say it to you guys. Yes. I have it yeah. all. I've, I've hit the jackpot. I've won the lotto yep. because I'm operating from the core of who I am at a heart level and that's dictating what I do. And then what you have just follows. It just follows. So I think mm. the part of that is that, you know, with the sexualized, we look at what we're, we're operating from that system backwards, have, do, be, and we never get in touch with the be. So we're stuck in that have and do cycle. 
I think that that's really well put, Lisa. And I think that is one of the things that the three of us share and that we're really trying to let more people be aware of and each in our own ways is that when you are in touch with who you are, that's talked a lot about right now in terms of authenticity or, you know, who's your core self and allowing yourself to see and get to know and appreciate that. And that leads what you do. And absolutely then what you have comes directly out of that. So that, Mm -hmm. you know, I often say to people, I feel like 85, I try to work on an 85-15 in my life, as in 85% of the things I do are the things that I just love to do. And 15%-ish are the things that, you know, need to get done, right? At some point, I've got to like, you know, get some groceries or (laughs) pay a bill or something like that. But I also have the option to take the things that I have to do and make them into things that I enjoy doing or enjoy the outcome. And so it, it shifts everything from that perspective. But when I tie this back to the whole, this is sort of a a leap here, but when I tie it back to this idea of sexualization, what I think is that that's a situation where potentially someone's really wanting connection and only utilize one form of connection or, you know, one area, one method of connection, as opposed to opening up to all of the different ways we can connect to ourselves and to other people. And then sexually is only one little element in the complete array of ways that we can connect. Mm. I like Mm, that. That's so true. That's so true. And you can sexually connect to many things in your life. It doesn't have to be associated with another person. So there are places to discharge that energy in healthy ways that, you know, that aren't related to another human being. I mean, you know, God, how many podcasts do I do? You don't think that some of that is repurposed energy? <laughs> what, what do you, I have a question for you too. And what do you, what do you think about midlife transition? What we're talking about here in a perpetually optimistic way, because we've all engage in it, mastered it, live it, breathe it, know it. But what do you think about, or how can we address midlife transition versus midlife crises? Meaning those who, who dread their zero birthdays, you know, the fifth, I remember when my 50th came, I was like, oh, that's December 8th, you know, (laughs) but for other people, really, I have a number of clients who think at 50, they really grieve. It's over for them. And so, you know, we speak of it because we're living it, but I, you know, I know so many people really are devastated by it or are immobilized by it. God, I wonder so if we happy. can speak that. Wait, I'm, I, I lit, I just can't wait. I, I, but I made the decision to tell myself it was something to be excited about. And I started prepping that in my early forties. I just started saying, you know what, you're not going to do that thing that people do where you dread every birthday. You're going to celebrate and be excited about being older, about being wiser, about being more comfortable in your skin. So I've done that for so many years now that I'm like, I can't wait to be 50. January 17th can't come soon enough. I'm really excited about it, but no, it's a no change mindset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, right. So, so forget this over the hill thing. But oh, you know, God, no. so here's the association that came as you were talking, Kristen. You guys are gonna be like, "Wow, what's going on over there in Connecticut?" But I started thinking about period parties, and so, right. So we we used to talk about the red um, right. We used to talk about menstruation as the curse. 
etc being on the rag all of those things and then there was the for some weird thing yeah yeah and then there was the the movement to sort of try to celebrate the becoming a woman and having period parties which i think generally speaking as far as I know, it has never really taken off, right? So this is, was sort of this <laughs> failed attempt to reconceptualize an important part of women's development. And it, I think it's too bad now that I think about it. I, I did try to offer this for my daughter and she just shot me down in a big way. She's just like, mom, you're so weird, right? But So we have that opportunity, right? You know, sort of at the beginning of puberty. But then we have this other opportunity. And so for me, there's sort of these markers. And so I loved turning 50. It was the one time I not only had a party, because my birthday is July 5th, so usually either we're, there's something going on for the 4th or or nobody's around. But I literally said uh, a year and a half in advance to all of my friends, hey, guess what, guys? I want a party for my 50th, and I want like a legit party. We <laughs> did it at my house. I want people to come over. It's going to be a pool party, blah, blah, blah. And I was super excited about it because I thought, wow, okay, so – and and quite frankly – I'd had surgical menopause, so it wasn't from a physical perspective the bookends of what I'm talking about, but emotionally and cognitively for me, it was like, oh, wow, think of all the things I can do now. Like, Mm. this is a milestone that I've achieved. So, So when I think about it, like, okay, you've got, you get your period, you get your license, you are old enough to vote, you... Maybe you get your first place that you live in solo, right? You have your first job, blah, 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 blah. In my case, you have a child, all all (laughs) sorts of different things. But now it was like, wow, like those things, okay, check, check, check. They're, They're all set that, you know, that's not where my life is. But now, wow, there's so many other things that I was really excited for this But I think that really comes down to the idea of are you picking a growth mindset or not? Because the midlife crisis, that's all about the fixed mindset. Yes. Midlife transition or blossoming or whatever you want to think, that's a growth, growth mindset. So maybe we start talking about it that way. Right. Changing the language around it. Well, that, that, that makes total sense. I mean, language is huge. So if we just start using different terms for it, uh, then we help people see it in a different, lighter, more positive way. I mean, I, that's so interesting to me that pe- I could see people from my mom's generation looking at midlife and thinking, oh, I mean, my mom was always trying to put herself in the grave. So <laughs> Like, you know, like at 40, she's like, oh, I'm old. I'm like, what are you going to say when you're 80? Like, you know, (laughs) but, you know, I I saw that from that generation, but it's kind of sad, I guess, to me now that people still think that about women. And and, Mm. I mean, Christine Louis de Canneville, which uh, she's amazing. She um, she's a criminologist in Ireland. She writes a lot about narcissism and she says um, she when I posted the thing on Facebook about us doing the show, she said, well, what age is middle age? (laughs) And I was like, that's a great question. I'd say because of how long we live today, I'd say, you know, between 40 and 50. That's middle. I was going to say 45. 
Yeah. Yeah. There you well, go. 45. I, yeah. I think it's a mentality, right? I think yeah. that, you know, I mean, I look at, and I think so much, you know, we talk about schemas or the, the things that we're telling ourselves, but I reflect upon my grandmother, my, my wild card grandmother, and the jury's <laughs> out of whether it was her fifth or sixth marriage. But I remember in her sixth <laughs> marriage when they were, they were 85 years old and I went to visit them in St. Michael's, this beautiful waterfront place. And we went out on their boat and we were going to dinner and we all disrobed put the clothes on a raft, swam into shore, <laughs> got dressed, went out to dinner and did the same thing on the return. And I thought to myself, that's, I want to live like that. There's yeah. a lot about the woman I don't want to repeat, but here she is, they're 85. They were both 85. And that was passion. That wasn't, yeah. oh, we can't get out. We can't even get on the boat. It was, hey, let's go out to dinner and let's take the boat. And we got to have to disrobe to get on the shore and then we're going to get dressed and do it again. And it's, <laughs> it's that passion, that modeling of it, you know, was really permission to, Life doesn't stop. It just gets better if we, you know, follow that mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love uh, my, I had an aunt like that um, who just, she was crazy aunt, you know, I I won't say her name, but she was crazy aunt so-and-so, crazy aunt Sally, whatever. And, uh, you know, she married a few times and her kids hated her and God knows she's probably a narcissistic mother, but she did have that like joie de vie. She met some guy in Argentina and they, and they lived off of him making jewelry out of spoons. I mean, it was just so, and she was a ham radio operator and a, and a jitterbug dancer and all this stuff. And I was always like, wow, that is so, and, and she was the only one that would sit and listen to my endless stories of the childhood nonsense and sat and paid attention because she had the, she had those childlike qualities of curiosity or that we associate with being childlike, but they're so great to have as an adult. Well, in living in the present is what I Mm -hmm. know. That's part of passion is that we are present connected, not what was and not what is not going to be, but what do I have right here, right now, which is all we really have, right? Yeah. That present. So how, okay, so in closing this out, because let's set this up for the next one, let's, um, let's think about what that means in terms of uh, a love relationship. It, how, is that important? Is it not? Um, the things that people say in terms of, oh, you should be dating or you should not be alone because it's not good for da-da-da, those things that you brought up in the in the beginning, Lisa, or that you are married and there's the other side of it and people are like, oh, you know, you're you're an old married couple as if you guys, you know, as if people are just like sitting on a sofa like Edith and Archie and you don't have a passionate marriage because you're over 50. I mean, well, oh, and I, I get that all the time. And people were like, who, who's going to have love after 50? You know, again, with the, the chins, the multiple chins, the boobs yeah. sagging. And, and, you know, one of the things I always educate my clients, as I said, and I don't re- recall the author of this study, but it's that the number one predictor of satisfaction of a great sex life is a woman's comfort with her body, a not completely. the size of the body. Not the size of her body, not the shape, not the, not what it can or cannot do, but it's her comfort. And so, you know, when people go, oh, no one's going to want to marry that, or no one's going to want to marry me, or no one's going to want to have sex with me. The the number one determinant is, am I okay with me? Do I like me? Am I okay with, you know, the, the maturation, the uh, aging, the eloquent aging of our body. But I think that absolutely love is possible and, and needed and needed. Yes. Yeah. And it's also, um, you know, like I would like it some, well, I am now cause I had a wonderful experience, but with someone, but I, there was the first time, and this was in my forties where I did not walk out of, um, a bedroom backwards. 
Oh, wow. I don't want them to see the back of my thighs. I mean, with my, with my husband, I didn't, cause I was like, whatever, get out of the way. I need you to toilet. <laughs> I don't care if you're shaving, but you know, with a, with a, with someone that was a new partner. Yeah. A new partner. I was like, I just got over it. He so didn't care. He was huge. He's like an oak tree and uh, just extremely tall. I felt, you know, very like he could just have broken me in half. And I'm just, and I know that shouldn't matter, but for whatever reason it did. Um, cause I felt very tiny with, with him, but I didn't care. I finally got to the point where we got over the embarrassment stuff and I was able to walk out of a room and walk around and whatever, and not be immediately like shielding my thighs or my stomach or whatever. And that was a beautiful, you know, a beautiful thing to experience. But had I not perfectly precision planned that experience because I did, I probably would be sitting here today still like, oh, no one would want to be with me because my arms are floppy. You know what I mean? Just Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, which is so not, it's just sad because it's not true. Well, and I think that in midlife, you know, if, if you're repartnering or finding love, I think that it's, it's, it's not so much about that I have to have a partner to be complete. Yes. It's that I seek partnership, um, whether that's a romantic partnership, a friendship, a, a community of, of family, of friends, because I am fueled by it and I engage in it, that I don't have to have this in order to you know, check that box in order to be complete in the eyes of society, but it's something that's consistent, again, with my passion, my truth. Mm. All right, Christina, you close us out on that one because you're the married one. <laughs> Well, so, you know, one of the things that I think of is it's not for me so much about how much sex is someone having. Right. But what are the emotional connections? And am I having the kinds of interactions, connections, um, relationships of whatever they are, not just with my spouse, but with the other people in my life that fulfill me? And you know, I've had many people come in and sort of say, hey, you know, we're married and we're not having as much sex, et cetera. But that isn't necessarily creating a problem. Right. right? Because so some people are having very active sex lives, you know, up and to the point of the end of their life. And other people are not. There's some significant variability for people. And there's lots of different reasons that people have variability in what their sex drive is or what physically their sex life. But I think our emotional life, that finding love internally and then with the other people in our lives, opening ourselves up to have those kind of deep connections. So I absolutely, Kristen, your someone that I love and we're not even in the same physical space (laughs) right and we're not it we're in a love relationship but not in a sexual love relationship yep you know so for me the things that I think about are really appreciating the whole variety of different ways that there are to have those connections Mm -hmm. letting ourselves do that and not psyching ourselves up because so often I hear people say well I've been hurt before I can't take that risk again and I'm like wow you know that risk is a risk I can't pretend that's not true but there's no way to have the benefit of the connection and the love without taking the risk yes oh my gosh the only the other thing i'd like to add to that christina because i think we would all be in agreement with that is that you know just between even between the three of us here what part of that love is the shared passion yes oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. very true and a hundred thousand people that listen (laughs) 
we share our passion with them. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. That you know, the love you talk about loving other yeah. people, romantic yes. love. But when you when you find that passion and you're able to share that passion in whatever dynamic, that is such a nurturing and invigorating and fueling source in and of itself. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have Dr. Christina Hallett with the Be Awesome Podcast. <laughs> you can go to Dr. Is it drchristinahallett.org? Yes, it is. Okay. Drchristinahallett.org. So, right. And everybody, it's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, because she spells it right, a K and two I's, H-A-L-L-E-T-T.org. And we have Dr. Lisa Day of the Meyer Clinics podcast. And uh, you can find out more about Lisa Day by going to M-E-I-E-R clinics.com. So ladies, thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. This was great. And have an awesome day. <laughs> yeah, have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, listeners, for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.